Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you so much for your giving this morning. Anybody glad to be here? Amen. I'm glad that you're here. Listen, um, the concert was, was amazing, but there's a couple individuals that went above and beyond to make that happen, and the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, and they, they went above and beyond. They took a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of, a lot of man hours in making it happen. But I want to give uh, just a big God bless you and a big thanks to Trish Martin and also to James Crookshanks. He was like a man amongst boys and getting all this stuff prepared. So we honor you guys. Man, could not have done it without you all. Love you guys. Thank you for your service uh, and, and making it happen. It's great to have Johnny and Jamie Eskins. Uh, they took care of me in church when I was about that tall, man. And listen, I didn't love the Lord back then. And they handled me, and it's so great to have you, honor you guys for being here this morning. Great to have you in-house. We are uh, closing out the series on the book of Ephesians today, and I'm super excited about um, today's message. I think just like all the others, it's going to be applicable. Uh, God is going to speak to you. After last week's message, I was getting Facebook messages, emails, phone calls, texts, uh, of how God literally, for some people, like they made a move last week to forgive someone or to, to let bitterness go and literally saw God open up a door like immediately. Uh, how many know that bitterness and unforgiveness will keep God's goodness and blessing from flowing into your life? Uh, and so it was just a powerful time in God's presence. Today, uh, we're gonna close it out, uh, but I, we're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter six this morning. And before we read the text, I want to start here uh, by just asking you, when was the last time that you felt like you got shot, maybe emotionally, maybe bad news from the doctor, maybe a friend who no longer wants to be a friend, a spouse that says, I'm done with this marriage. Maybe it wasn't uh, an emotional shot, but you took a financial shot. Uh, you lost your job, you're upside down, something in your house breaks and you don't have the money to fix it and you're in real trouble. Maybe even shot spiritually. You don't know why, but you're discouraged, you're depressed. It feels like there is a cloud uh, over your life and, and that your thoughts are foggy and maybe you're losing hope. And what we tend to do if we've been shot emotionally, financially, or even spiritually in those moments is that oftentimes, even in the church, we look up to God and we begin to say things like, God, I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. I, I thought you would provide for me. I thought, you, you know, you would take care of this. And, and a lot of times we, we place blame on God for things that we're going through, whether it be emotional, financial, or spiritual things we're going through. Uh, and people move in all kinds of directions when they find themselves in those moments when they are getting shot. You will hear some people say, well, maybe there's no God, or, or maybe if there is a God, he, he loves others, he just doesn't love me. And we begin to question the goodness of God, and sometimes people even question the existence of God, but what you need to know, what I need to know, what we need to know this morning is that it's not just us and God. It's not just us and God. We, we live in a day that through psychology, through explanation, through resistance to the, to the supernatural, a lot of times we forget there's us and there's God, but there's also Satan and demons. And a lot of times we, we exclude Satan and demons from, the, from our conversations. And so uh, what happens is, is that we, we begin to blame God for pain. We blame God for, you know, whatever is going on in our life negatively, we begin to place the blame on God. And, and what we have to understand is when that happens, Satan laughs because he understands that this, listen, let, let me say it like this, Satan knows we're in a war. 
But a lot of Christians don't live like they're in a war. We want to live like we're on vacation. And the Christian life is a lot of things, but it, the one thing it's not is a vacation. That when you get saved, you are now enlisted into a very real war. That we are soldiers in God's kingdom. And a lot of times, because we don't live life with the reality this is a war and a spiritual battle and we're soldiers, we begin to place blame on people, we place blame on God, not understanding that it's a real war that we're fighting against a real spiritual enemy. Uh, There's Satan and demons. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, and in this text, um, the Apostle Paul, this is the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. And he's writing to them, and it's what he's leaving them with. And we know in this book, the Apostle Paul deals with salvation. He deals with your identity in Christ. He deals with friendship, with marriage, with raising children, with unforgiveness and bitterness. He deals with a lot of things. But he leaves them with this concept in Ephesians chapter 6 of us having a very real enemy. And I want to call the message, I am victorious. Come on, touch somebody and tell them, I am victorious. I am victorious. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse number 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you, may, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now this name, I asked Google how to pronounce it, and it said Titius. Everybody say Titius. All right, Titius. The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, it's very clear that we have the church, we have God, and there is a a war against God and his people that is waged by Satan and his demons. And what I want you to know is when we read this chapter, chapter 6, a lot of times we look at everything through individualistic terms, even the title of today's message, I Am Victorious. But what you have to understand is Paul's not just talking to individuals, he's talking to the church in general. He's talking to a body of people. And I think it's important that that we see it in that context is because how many of you understand that an individual does not win the war, it takes an army to win the war. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to an army of people. And he's letting them know that we're in a very real battle that involves very, a, a real enemy and, and real weapons that we need to utilize, weapons that God has given us. And we need to know this morning that Jesus loves us, but Satan hates us. Jesus has plans for us. Satan has plans to oppose us. Jesus in every way wants to bless us, but Satan in every way wants to undermine that blessing. It is a very real war. The problem that I have with talking about this being a war is that a lot of Christians do not live like we are in a war. 
Because we live in a therapeutic culture where God is reduced to this life coach who comes alongside us and asks, what can I do for you? We, we have that kind of mindset when it comes to God, that God wants to give us tips and tricks on how to, be, on how to, to, to do a better job, on how to live our life, and Jesus is just assisting us. But I want to remind everybody today that God does not exist to bless you. You exist to serve him. And we get that upside down. You exist to serve him. And, and so I, I posted this earlier in the week, but I want, I want to say it again. The closer you get to Jesus, the more resistance you'll get. The more you advance the kingdom of God, the more shots you're going to take. Don't be a coward who says, oh, things are hard. It must not be God's will the harder it gets, the closer you are to the will of God. So if you've been in a battle lately and you feel like the enemy is opposing everything you do and everything you put your hands to, it's probably because you're moving in the right direction. You're advancing the kingdom of God. Satan don't attack people who are no threat. He attacks people who are a threat. So just because you're getting closer to God doesn't mean the journey's gonna get easier. It will actually intensify. And so a few things we gotta know as as we engage in this war, if we're gonna be victorious, number one, we we need to know our enemy. We have a real enemy that you're not loved by everyone and everything, that you have an enemy that hates you, that despises you, that wants to oppose you. It's why Paul said we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But we, we wrestle, we fight against rulers, against authorities, against principalities. People are not our enemy. I'm gonna say that again. People are not our enemy. Satan and demons are our enemy. The Bible speaks of non-Christians as captives, all right? Not the enemy, it speaks of, of people who are not following Jesus, they are captives. That's what they are, they are not the enemy. And so what happens in a war is that an overtaking army uh, then will enslave and take captive the citizens who are then conquered. And that's called earth. The world has been conquered by Satan and by demons. And there are captives that have been taken prisoner. So the war is not against the captives. Our war is against their captors, which is Satan and demons. It's why Jesus said very early on in his earthly ministry that he came specifically to set the captives free. So our war is not against non-Christians. Our war is not against people who would disagree with biblical faith. Our war is against Satan and against demons, and we need to get to know who the enemy is so that we don't engage in fights that God never asked us to fight. A lot of times we're just fighting people, not understanding it's not a fight against flesh and blood. It's not a fight against people. And so we need to know our enemy. And the first thing in any fight is to know who you're fighting. Who is the enemy? Who are we against? And when it comes to Satan, we know that he was created by God. He's not God, and he's not equal to God, but he was created by God. Now, with that being said, is he does not share all the attributes of God. God can be everywhere. Satan cannot. God knows everything. Satan does not. God reads your mind and your thoughts. Satan can't. He's created, but he's also fallen. He rebelled against God. He turned his back against God. He declared war on God. What we need to understand, though, about him is that he is uh, a powerful spirit being. And if we give him power, how many know he will exert that power? He does have power. If we don't know how, that he's the enemy and we don't know what we have at our disposal in the battle, then he can you know, exert his power over us. And so um, we need to know that he is the enemy, that he does have power, but it is limited power. But Satan has done a very good job in our day and in our culture of of, uh, blinding us to his schemes so that we can't see him operate in the lives of people. Uh, For instance, Satan has done a good job in our day uh, of making self-esteem not a vice but a virtue. 
uh, of making independence not a vice but a virtue. Uh, and some people, even in the church, they'll come to church and say, I believe in Jesus. I just don't really, uh, you know, jive with this Satan thing, with this demon thing. I don't, and, and, and what you got to know about Satan is what brought him down was something called pride. Everybody say pride. Pride was, was his demise. And Satan still uses pride today. It comes out in our language sometimes when we say things like, I don't need to listen to anyone else. I'm smart enough. I don't need to submit to anyone else. I, I can take care of me. I don't need to follow anyone. I'm the authority of my own life. And so Satan will, in every way, tempt and test your pride. He fell through pride. His, the angels that fell with him fell through pride. And if you and I fall, most of the time we fall, because of this, this one sin called pride. Everybody say pride. Well, how many know we got to get rid of the pride? We got to get rid of pride. It's not what I can do, what, what I can accomplish. If we do anything good in this world, if we accomplish anything good in the kingdom of God, it's not because we're all that in a bag of chips. How many know we could do nothing without the grace of God on our life, the mercy of God on our life? It's not about us, it's about Him. And so Jesus demonstrated to us what humility looks like. He left the perfect place of peace and, and had everything in heaven. And he left all of that and he humbled himself and became a man and showed us how to humble ourselves so that we could experience the goodness of God. You also need to know and be careful that we don't make too much of Satan, but we don't make too little of him. We need to have the right perspective some of you came from what, what we call charismatic backgrounds or Pentecostal backgrounds. And just in case you, you don't know this, you're in a charismatic Pentecostal church this morning. Come on, look at your neighbor and say welcome. You thought the charismatics and the Pentecostals were crazy and now you're sitting with them, <laughs> right? You're, you're, in, you're in one of those churches today. And so the, the charismatic Pentecostal people, a lot of times, we, uh, we blow it completely out of proportion with Satan and demons. We can sometimes make way too much of Satan. Um, and then you got people on the other side who don't come from that kind of background who make way too little. And so what they do is they try to explain away everything. You know, that everything is just about uh, human nature, everything is just about uh, psychology or hormones or biology, and we, we don't want to make anything spiritual. Or, on the other hand, we make everything spiritual, where everything's a demon. How many of you understand not everything's a demon, but also not everything is just you? That somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And what Satan wants to do, just like he began with Adam and Eve in the very first encounter of Satan and, and God's creation, is that he came in after God had established truth. And what did Satan do when he came into the garden? He said, has God said? Satan will always position himself between the voice of God and your ear. He wants to get between what God has established as truth and, and what you hear as truth. And he wants you to question what God has established as truth. You say, what's going on in our culture? Why are people acting a fool? Why does no one believe the Bible anymore? Why is no one walking in truth? I'll tell you why. Because Satan showed up and said, has God really said? And people are questioning what God has established as truth. Satan is real. We have a very real enemy. It's why the Bible says we wrestle. That word wrestle, it, it, it speaks of hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's where Satan wants to get his hands on you. And you get, sometimes as a believer, you got to get your hands on him. In other words, in, in wrestling, they call it the clinch. And in the clinch, it's exhausting. It's, it's a wrestling match. You get exhausted. You get tired. Uh, there's a struggle. And that's the language that the Apostle Paul is using, that it's a very real battle. It's tiring. And, and for those of you in ministry, you know ministry is like that. Serving is like that. Preaching the gospel is like that. Growing a church in this crazy world is like that. You say, man, this is hard. Man, this is exhausting. 
You know, you feel like I'm going to run out of energy. I'm going to run out of finances. I'm going to run out of whatever it may be. It's because we're in a very real battle. And I think some of us, sometimes because the battle is, is so hot, the battle is so exhausting, that a lot of times people stop engaging in the battle. They stop coming to church. They stop reading their Bible. They stop serving. And then they feel like, man, life's a little bit easier now. You know why it's easier? Because Satan is no longer opposing you. That if you're engaged in the battle, sometimes it becomes exhausting to every day. Keep the upper hand over your adversary. So you gotta know your enemy. Secondly, you gotta know your king. Who do you fight for? Who do you fight for? If you don't know who you fight for, you're probably not going to fight well. It's why Paul said in verse 10, he said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Who is the Lord? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know this. It's his fight. This is his church. It's his book. It's his battle. It, he's the king. It's his, his kingdom. It's not our kingdom. We're soldiers. He's the one that gives us the orders, and we receive the orders and obey what our king says. How many are thankful that this, this is not our battle? This is God's battle. You got to know your enemy, but you also got to know your king. You got to know him. And so the question is, how in the world am I going to live? How are you going to live? How's the church going to live when you know Satan has his hands on you and he's exhausting you and he's trying to destroy you or your business or your family, your ministry? Let me say this. Uh, you can't make a difference for the long haul in your own strength. That's why Paul said, stand in the Lord's might. Stand in the strength of God. You don't have what it takes to love your spouse for a, for a lifetime in your own strength. You need the strength of God. You don't have the strength that you need to be that, that person you need to be for your children for a lifetime. How many of some of the, the assignments God has given us, they are lifetime assignments, which means I can't operate in my own strength. I gotta operate in the strength of God to make me a better pastor, to make me a better husband, a better father, a better friend. How many would, would, would agree with me today that you need God's help to be everything God has called you to be? You're going to need his help. You're going to need his strength to be able to do that. In this war, in this battle, we are strengthened ultimately by the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same one who gave Jesus what he needed to overcome temptation, to overcome exhaustion. It, listen, it, it's not about me. I've, I've, listen, I've been working hard here at this church for 16 years. And people will come and ask, say, Pastor, what's the secret? How do you keep going? Here, here's the secret. Anytime I fight in my own strength, I lose the battle. Every single time I, I want to roll up my own sleeves and do the fight myself, I lose and I lose quickly. But every time I say, God, if you don't show up, if you don't help me fight the battle, if you don't give me the orders that I need, if you don't give me the strength I need, listen, without him, none of this is possible. You're not gonna be able to do anything in, in the kingdom of God without the strength of God. You gotta know your enemy, you gotta know your king, and number three, you gotta know your weapons. You gotta know your weapons. You guys thought you were coming to church today? You weren't coming to church, you were coming to war. You think, you think you're getting up and going to work tomorrow? You're not going to work tomorrow. You're going to war tomorrow. Every single day is a battle. Every single day we are engaged in spiritual warfare. It's why he said in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day. And I love the way he, he talks about the armor. And a lot of times, you know, we, we look at the armor listed and we're thinking, what kind of helmet? Was it a big helmet? Was it a little helmet? Was it like the ones a linebacker would wear or the little kicker that runs out to kick the football? You know, what kind of helmet is it? I don't know. Here's the deal is that God just wants us to win the battle. 
I, it doesn't matter how. Let's just, if we need to throw the spear, let's throw the spear. If we need to, to throw the helmet, come on, let's throw that. If we need to take the boots off and throw it, whatever it takes to win, that's what God wants us to do. That's why he gave us the weapons. And so he does give us a list of weapons, and I want to talk about them briefly with you this morning. The first thing he gives us is a belt of truth, the belt of truth. Um, each one of these weapons combats one of the enemy's tactics, one of the enemy's tricks, that he's going to attack you in a certain way, so God gives you certain weapons to offset the attack. What's the opposite of truth? Lies, right? Are there any lies in the world? Have you run in, across any lies in the last decade? John 8, 44, Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies. That lying is his native language. Lying is all Satan has ever done. When you and I lie, do you know we're doing something demonic? I got two amens right there. And a lie is where we don't tell the truth or we're only telling part of the truth, but we don't tell the whole truth. Satan is going to lie to you. He's gonna bring lies into your mind. And what you need to know about lies is that something does not need to be true in order to be powerful. It, it can be a lie and have power in your life. And let me explain how that, like if you're completely healthy, 100% healthy, and I tell you, hey, you're not healthy, you have cancer, you got two weeks to live. Now, you know that's a lie, but that, if you believe that, how many know, even though it's a lie, if you believe it, it's gonna have power in your life. If, if, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, your husband has had a girlfriend your entire marriage, and it's a lie, how many know that's going to affect your marriage? Because it's not just about the lie. Satan, it, it, it's not about the lie, it's about you believing the lie. The power is not in the lie itself. The power is when you and I believe the lies, when we say yes to the lies. He, he knows something doesn't need to be true. It just needs to be believed. And if you believe them, Satan is responsible for the lie, but you're responsible for what you believe. And there's a lot of Christians that are believing lies. How many know we gotta get rid of the lies and get established on truth? And here, here's the problem in the church now. Everything is so watered down in our nation that we think the truth is hate speech. Satan has worked his way in at such a level that if you tell people you're in sin and need to repent because if you don't, you're going to hell, you know what you're called? A bigot. Things have become so watered down that we don't even know what the truth is anymore. And, and so Paul says, I want you to put on the belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. And what he's talking about here is that one of Satan's tricks and tactics is to tempt us. We've all been tempted. Jesus was tempted. In Luke 4, he was tempted. Matthew 4, he was tempted. He was tempted just like you and I. The difference is Jesus never sinned. And one of the lies Satan is gonna tell you is that when you're tempted, you're already guilty. You might as well go ahead and do it. But there is a difference between temptation and sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. And a lot of times Satan will, will convince us that because we're tempted in an area, that it's automatically sin. No, it's not sin until you act on the temptation. Jesus was tempted but never sinned. You're gonna be tempted. And if you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is what Jesus has given to you, how many know Jesus, he, he became our substitute. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
And so what happens is when temptation comes, we can stand with the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus has given to us, and we can fight off the temptation, or in the moment, we can take off the breastplate of righteousness and just invite Satan and his demons to do whatever they want to do. Every single time we are presented with a temptation, we have an opportunity to stand in the righteousness Jesus has provided or to take it off and allow Satan to do whatever he wants to do. How many know in this day, in this hour, we better have on the breastplate of righteousness if we're going to be able to stand in such evil times? You better put it on. The breastplate of righteousness. So when you're tempted, you really don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to. You can live a life that honors God. The next one is the, I'm going to call it the boots of the gospel. He talks about having your feet always ready, wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. And soldiers don't wear flip-flops. I've never seen a soldier in a pair of, I hate flip-flops, by the way. I hate them. Karen will tell you, I hate wearing them. I'm not against you wearing them. I'm just, I hate them. Like, even at the beach, those things hurt my feet. They, I get blisters. I'm like, why in the world would anybody wear flip-flops? I, I don't get it. But I've never seen a soldier wear flip-flops to the battle. And, and if you saw a soldier wearing flip-flops and he's on your team, You'd tell him to go take them off and put some boots on. Now, if you saw your enemy wearing flip-flops, you'd be thankful. Say, man, this is going to be done by lunch. I have never seen an army afraid of the flip-flop brigade. Never seen it. And, and so we, we've got to put our boots on. And soldiers, what do they do? Soldiers, many times, when they are engaged in battle... Even when they go to bed, they sleep with their boots on. Why? Because you got to always be ready. That when, when you're in the army and you're engaged in a battle, the battle doesn't have to take place from 9 to 5 on Monday through Friday. The enemy does not work from Monday through Friday from 9 to 5. Listen, you can't say it's 3 a.m., you can't shoot now, we're a union army. It's not going to work. Like the enemy doesn't play by those rules. And, and, and so we sleep even with our boots on because we know the enemy is going to attack. We just never know when he's going to attack. And a lot of people, I've seen this a lot with ministry, people that transition from the secular world and they want to do full-time ministry. And, and, and they come by it honest, but they say things like, well, what's my hours? And this is, this is a real struggle. What's my hours, pastor? Well, theoretically, you're going to work from this time to this time. But you are in full-time ministry, which means not everybody who has a problem or gets a cancer diagnosis or has a husband or spouse or a wife walk out on them. It don't all happen, you know, Monday through Thursday from 8.30 to 4.30. That the enemy attacks and we, listen, so many of us, we become relaxed. We, and I'm not saying you can't ever rest, but I'm saying you need to learn as a soldier in the army of God to sleep with your boots on. And I don't care if it's Sunday night at 2 a.m. and you get the phone call that you're ready to go to war. You're ready to advance the kingdom of God. You're ready to make a difference in the kingdom of God. You're ready to take back territory for the kingdom of God. It don't all fall between Monday and Friday from 9 to 5. It's a spiritual battle, and we got to have our boots on. I, I, you know, I tell some people that are in ministry, I just have to let them know, you're going to work until Jesus comes back or until you die. This is going over well, isn't it? Well, what time do I get off? You're not ready for ministry. Satan is always attacking people, and that means that part of the battle, particularly leadership, 
If you're in leadership, team leader here, on staff here, you gotta sleep with your boots on. You gotta be ready to take the fight to the enemy. Because I want you to see, and I wanna come back to this, this is a very real war. And I think sometimes the enemy lulls us to sleep. And we don't understand. I want you to see the Lord Jesus as, as the king with a kingdom. I want you to see there is a war in heaven where Satan and demons declared war on Jesus and, and his kingdom. I want you to see there was a great battle in the heavenlies and that Satan and demons were defeated, but they have not been utterly destroyed by Jesus, that they took their battle to the earth, they waged war on the first, our first parents, they've gotten a foothold in the human race through the sin nature, that, they, that this war has been going on since Adam and Eve, and I want you to see that the Lord Jesus came into this battlefield and he left his kingdom and he came and he brought that kingdom into the earth. He left the place of peace and he came to a place of war. He humbled himself. He took upon himself the form of a man. He faced temptation the same way you and I did, but he stayed faithful to what God had called him to do. I want you to see that the Lord Jesus' life on earth, it was like a soldier at war. The next time you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't want you to think of a therapist, hippie, long-haired Jesus out having counseling sessions, but I want you to think of a warrior who came and did battle on your behalf and on my behalf, and he brought the kingdom into the earth, and when he ascended after he was substituted for our sin, that he left us with power through the Holy Spirit, and we're not on vacation. We're in a very real war, and if we don't open up our eyes to the war, we'll never engage in the battle but God is sounding the clarion call in this moment that it's time for the people of God to rise up and be who God has called them to be, not be lulled to sleep by the doctrines of demons and seduced by every spirit that lulls us to sleep. If it's hard, it should be hard. You're in a battle. Quit whining and complaining. You're a soldier in the kingdom of God. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You're going to get tired, but that's why we're here to help one another encourage one another strengthen one another why because we're in a very real battle and if you're not battling it's because the devil isn't worried about you just go go ahead and preach it today well pastor chad my life's good and things are good and i just come to church and check the box it's because satan is not threatened by you at all you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, you don't go to church faithfully, you don't pray for your kids, you just go through life, and you think, well, I don't know why they say it's so hard and it's a battle. It's because you're not engaged in the battle. Y'all come back next week, you hear? <laughs> well, that went well. Let's talk about the shield of faith. It says to wear, or to take up the shield of faith which is to extinguish flaming darts. And what happens in those epic battles, you see a lot of the older movies would, would show the arrows would have what on it? They would have fire on the end, flaming arrows. And so what they would do is they would take, they would take these shields and dip them in water so that when the flaming arrows would hit the shield, it would immediately extinguish the fire. And for how many uh, of you in this season, you would say, Pastor, it just feels like there's flaming arrows coming at me all the time. I get through this battle and there's another battle. And I had to be reminded this week because I feel like my life for 16 years has been nothing but one battle after another battle after another battle. And I'm like, God, could I just get a break? But if you're taking territory and you're pushing back darkness, the enemy will never stop firing flaming arrows in your direction. I don't wanna leave you with bad news, I wanna leave you with some good news. You have been given a shield of faith Learn how to use that bad boy. Walk in faith, not by sight, but by faith. Lift up that shield, and every single fiery dart of the enemy will be extinguished, and you will keep progressing in the things God has called you to do. The shield of faith. Listen, it's, 
a lot of times we think, well, is God condemning me? Is God accusing me? Is God shaming me? Is God opposing me? No, you have an enemy, and he's firing in your direction. You say, well, it's, just, it's relentless, Pastor. Well, you may be doing something right. Have you stopped long enough to recognize that maybe it's because you're doing some good things? It's why those fiery darts keep coming in your direction. Then he said, the helmet of salvation. Every good soldier wears a helmet, protects your mind and your thinking and your decision making. You gotta keep your head on straight. Friends, listen to me. You're gonna get rattled. You're going to get hit. You're going to get attacked. And that's why he says, put on the helmet of salvation. False teaching is gonna continue to come. False teachers are everywhere. The media, listen, the media loves former evangelicals uh, that at one time had great ministries, but now they're denying parts of the Bible and just throwing in the word love. And if you preach just love without truth, you're not preaching the full gospel. I know. This sermon's not gonna help us grow the church today. I get that. You're gonna be surrounded by all kinds of half-truths. Listen, you're gonna be surrounded by people who say they love the Lord and live consistently in compromise. They compromise every day. You can see it. And if you call their hand to it, they're gonna get mad and say, you don't love. But in the church, we're supposed to hold one another accountable to a standard. We're supposed to do that. Put on the helmet of salvation. Then he said, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is a weapon. It's a weapon. Um, and if you don't learn how to use the word of God, and if you don't take the word of God seriously, if you don't take reading your Bible seriously and memorizing scripture seriously, Bible studies here, if you're not in the word of God, you might as well go ahead and surrender. There is no victory outside of God's word. It's an offensive weapon. God gave it to us for us to, to take it in, to meditate on it. Say, so, well, do I need to memorize it? Yeah, you probably do. A lot of times we just, well, you're getting too religious now, memorizing scripture. Well, when my seven-year-old comes home and quotes to me the Ten Commandments that some of the adults in the room don't even know half of, but she's seven and can quote them to me, I know we got to do a better job of getting in the Word of God. Without the Word of God, there is no victory. Without His Word, we will not have victory. Then he said, let me, let me just go ahead and, and stop here for just a minute. We need to be able to handle the word of God, or, or as he refers to, the sword, appropriately. Let's not, you know, pick it up and put it down, use it for a little while, not use it for a little while. And, and some of you, let me just say it like this, you need to pick a team. Because a lot of times we get saved and we, fall, we, we say we want to follow Jesus, but out there we're, we're kind of flip-flopping. Listen, you need to pick a team. I heard a minister say this recently, and I thought it was hilarious, and y'all may throw something as I, it wasn't my quote, but I'm going to go ahead and quote it. He said, a lot of us, we're trying to put one foot in and one foot out, and we're just, we're straddling the fence, and the only thing that comes from that is a chafe crotch. Come on, are we, are we telling the truth? Y'all finally alive. It's the first time you got, I got a response all morning out of some of y'all. Did he really say that, Bessie? Yeah, I did. Then he said, praying in the spirit. One of the most important things in the battle is communication, which means you need to be talking to headquarters. You need to be listening to headquarters. We call it prayer. So this is different than how other religions pray. Other religions cannot pray in the power of the Spirit. But we, because of the Holy Spirit, can pray anointed 
Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-driven prayers. How's your prayer life? If you don't know you're in a war, then you're, you're gonna feel like, why do I need to listen to headquarters? Why do I need direction? Why do I need to tune in to my commander-in-chief? Why, why do I? It's because you don't know you're in a war. But so, can you imagine soldiers going into battle with zero communication with headquarters? Like they're just out there and everybody is free-for-alling. No one has communication. No one knows what, what to do next. What are, what, are, what are the orders? And every single day, you need to check in with headquarters before you go to work, before you try to parent those kids, before you invest in your, you need to go to headquarters and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Give me my directives. And then check back in with him a little later in the day to see how you're doing. God will give you direction. God, listen, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, will lead and guide you into all truth, but how in the world is he gonna lead and guide us when we never talk to him? Paul said, praying in the Spirit. As the worship team comes, I probably need to land this plane with some of the things I've said already. Paul ends in Ephesians 6, and he, he talks about perseverance. Four different times, I think he uses the word stand. That a soldier needs to hold his post. That he needs to hold that line. That we don't just get up and walk over here because we feel like it. No, he said hold that line. Stand. Fight. You got a line to hold. You got a job to do. My job is to stand with Karen and our three kids. That's my job. I have to stand there. In other words, that's not a temporary deployment. That's a lifetime assignment. I can't abandon my post. If I abandon my post, my family would get shot. My job is to stand in this pulpit and preach the word of God and, and take the shots that come. Take the shots that come with that. My job is to stand, to plant my feet through criticism, if they pick it outside, if they protest, if they hate on me, if they resist me, my job is to stand and to hold this line. I'll be here next week. I've been here for 16 years. Maybe I'll be here for the next 50 years. But the point is, hold your line. Hold your line. Husband, hold that line. Don't let your family get shot because you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not at your post. It's a spiritual war. I, I had a group of eight pastors this week that I'm coaching via Zoom, and I told them, pastors, I know you wanna reach your city. I know you wanna do great things, but please understand, it is a heaven and hell issue. Everyone is going to one of two places. There is nothing more important in the world, nothing, than your walk with Jesus. How many know we ought to make, do our best to make sure heaven's full and hell's empty? That should be, that's what it should be about. I want you to stand with me all over the room this morning. Perseverance, and then he said, pray for grace and peace. Pray for grace and peace. How many understand that our church has received a lot of grace over the years? God has graced us. And Paul is leading a very success, successful church. They're making a big impact. But he's, he's asking them to continue to pray that the grace of God would be on what they're doing. And he said, I'm praying for peace. And it's peace within the church. He's talking about peace within the church. There's nothing worse than one sh soldier shooting another soldier. And one of the things I've learned about leading a church and being involved in church my entire life is that our enemy, the devil, a lot of times, he can't get to us through people who are out there you know how he gets to the church? No different than in Jesus' ministry. 
the biggest threat to any church are people sitting in it. It's not people outside the walls. It's people inside the walls. People that are a part of it. And Paul said, I want, you, I want to pray for peace. That there would be peace that you wouldn't shoot one another. I said last week, when we shoot one another, when we criticize one another, gossip about one another, complain about one another, all we're doing is saving the enemy a bullet. He said, so I want you to pray for peace. Did you get something out of the word of God today? You can make. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. I want to speak to the people in the room that would say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with God. I'm not right. I need to repent of my sin. As a compass director, some prayer team, you can go ahead and get in place. As they're doing that, if you feel that that is you this morning, I'm not right with God. I need to repent of my sin, and I need to follow Jesus. I need to get some things under the blood of Christ. If that's you today, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? Anyone at all, you say, that's, that's me. Anyone at all. Just another second. Say, that's me. Anyone at all. You know you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Anyone at all. We're getting ready to open up this altar today. And if you feel like you're, you've been involved in this battle at a very high level, maybe today for whatever reason you feel like maybe you're not winning, and you want to you wanna see the tide turn in your favor, I believe that the power of God is in this room today to equip you so that you leave with everything you need to do what God has called you to do. I'm going to open up these altars now. If you need prayer for anything at all, please come. Don't hesitate. As the worship team comes to lead us right now, can we give Jesus a big praise right now for what he's doing in our lives? Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.